Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Friday, June 26th. We begin with our weekly check-in with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. The mayor shares his thoughts on Thursday's announcement that the provincial government will provide some relief to those Calgarians affected by the devastating hailstorm earlier this month. Next, we look at the impact the COVID-19 pandemic has had on Canadian businesses, what the future may hold, and when we can expect to see a full recovery. Insight from the Business Development Bank of Canada. Then we head stateside for an update on the dramatic increase of coronavirus cases in several states over the past two weeks. We get the latest from Jennifer Johnson, Global News Washington reporter. It's been years in the making, but the end is in sight. Jeff Baird, senior transportation engineer with the City of Calgary, has details on the final stages of construction on Crowchild Trail and the Bow River Bridge project. And finally, she's gone out of her way to help family members heal after surgery, organized a street concert for her neighbors, and even shaved her head to raise money for cancer. We hear the story of our next community champion. Well, we started this weekly segment chatting with the mayor to talk mostly about COVID-19, but there's so much more going on, obviously, and the hailstorm and some relief coming for people who were affected by it. So we'll talk about that as we join the mayor this morning. Nahed Nenshi joins us. Good morning, mayor. Good morning, folks. Thanks so much for being here. So, you know, this must have been uh, some some relief for sure for people in the Northeast uh, finding out that that hailstorm and the damage will qualify for some provincial disaster relief. Were you pleased to hear that too? Well, it's an important first step and it certainly helps the city um, because it helps us cover some of the damage to our city infrastructure uh, as well as our emergency response costs. But... Remember that uh, disaster relief is only for uninsurable damage usually, which means that the province will not be helping people out really for hail damage to their homes or cars because that is insurable damage. And that really is where the problem becomes because even though people may have been insured uh, in a situation where they may be out of work because of covid even paying that deductible or paying the difference between the depreciated value and the actual replacement value is putting some people in a lot of financial hardship. You know, I was speaking with a family yesterday where both parents have been off work. Uh, they're fully insured, but the damage is $16,000 and the insurance company will cut them a check for six. Oh, So now they've got to find another $10,000 in this situation. What we don't want to do is we don't want to put people in a poverty trap where they're putting that on a 22% credit card, mm-hmm. where they're going, God help us, to a payday loan place, right? Because that's a, that's a trap you never get out of. And so I'm really hopeful that we'll be able to work with the province to figure out how to help people out who are in huge financial distress. But, you know, look, me myself had uh, pretty big damage to my house, and I'm going to be out a lot of money but they shouldn't be helping me, right? So we have to figure out um, who we can target this help to. When it comes to the reopenings, uh, Mayor, after the pandemic or as we continue our phases, golf courses got the green light uh, weeks and weeks ago. We're hearing word that all city courses, there were just a handful open opening today, but uh, the outdoor pools, uh, city run out of eight of them, only two openings. So I'm wondering uh, the standpoint from the city, is it just being overly cautious or is this a case that you don't have uh, all the employees in place for these uh, city run facilities? So they're not actually city run. Uh, the outdoor pools are run by community associations. Okay. Um, and basically those associations that usually run these things on a razor thin margin to begin with, uh, six of the eight of them, well, I think one is under renovation and five of the eight have just said, you know, if we have to go to 60 people from 300 people, there's just no way we can afford to operate these pools, pools this summer, which really is too bad. 
but ultimately they've got to abide by safety first, uh, and you don't want people really congregating uh, on the pool decks and the washrooms mm-hmm. and so on. It could be a very dangerous place. Mayor, let's talk about phase three. Do we have any insight as to when that might happen, if it'll be sooner rather than later? I don't really know yet. I know that the provincial government is looking at the numbers very carefully. And as you know, we've seen a small spike in kind of leveling off at a higher level. You know, I want to remind people, we've still got more cases out there than we had in the middle of March when we closed everything down. And as we've seen, as you heard uh, with Dave just now, you know, uh, the United States is a great example of what happens when you reopen too quickly. Mm-hmm. And so I applaud that cautious uh, move forward. Uh, and I think that we are settling into a place where business has figured out how to do this. Uh, and people, I hope, are continuing to stay safe. So I know I'm a broken record, but remember <laughs> three things. you got to keep your distance. How much is it? An Andy and a half, six feet, 36 <laughs> mini donuts, two meters, right? <laughs> Um, you've got to cover your face. Our mask wearing is way too low. So if you're going to be in a place where you can't stay two meters apart, if you're going to be in transit, if you're going to be in a store, you really should be covering your face and your nose. And then right back to the very beginning of this, wash your hands, don't touch your face, cough in your sleeve, practice good hygiene. It's a broken record that we need to hear a lot of (laughs) during this time, so we appreciate it. Uh, Thank you so much for your time this morning. Thanks, everybody. Have a good, if a little bit wet weekend. You too. That is a... Mayor Nahed Nenshi with us this morning. It's 747 helicopter traffic time for West District by Truman, Calgary's last and best master plan community inside the Stony Trail Ring Road. Well, and we are flying over top of the Crochelle Trail construction zone over top of the Bow River. Looks like things are moving pretty smoothly here in both directions. Bow Trail, though, still dealing with some lane closures in both directions. Underneath Crochelle, you've got a couple of right lanes closed eastbound if you're heading into downtown, and then one lane closed westbound. Speed restrictions in place of 50K. We also have some construction on Glenmore Trail westbound at 37th Street. You are down to one lane, and this has been uh, confusing a lot of drivers, a lot of last-second lane changes for the merge and it is causing a little bit of a slowdown. Eastbound lanes though still have two lanes open as you make your way out towards Crochelle Trail. Right now at Nissan Finance, select 2020 models from 0% for up to 84 months. Visit choosenissan.ca. Up in the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter, I'm Freddie Howard. 812 now. Canadian economy just experienced the sharpest economic downturn on record. And looking ahead, COVID-19 will continue to cause financial distress for business owners. Business Development Bank of Canada President and CEO Michael Denham joins us now to talk about what's being done to support the businesses themselves. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. How are you? Excellent. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, can you start off with some background on, you know, Alberta's current economic outlook, what the province's recovery might look like, that sort of thing? Uh, yeah, happy to. Uh, and again, what we see um, is uh, a GDP decline this year, uh, somewhere between 9 and 10%, uh, with a GDP increase next year, provincial GDP increase next year, of somewhere around um, 6%. Uh, but obviously, there's lots of uncertainty, um, most notably due to the public health situation. You know, Michael, your business is business, and you obviously you want to see businesses be successful. So I'm sure that more than a couple have come to you and your organization and said, what, what, what can we do? Are there any uh, bits of advice you can give uh, during a time like this that we've never experienced? Uh, yes, and we have, um, as you know, we've got um, dozens of locations uh, in Alberta. Um, we've got thousands of clients in Alberta. Um, we've always done our best to be present and be supportive um, when times are tough, most notably back in 2015 when oil prices declined. 
We made about a billion dollars of financing available. So we always try to kind of do our best to be present. And as part of that, there are three things to your question that we're encouraging entrepreneurs to do. Uh, the first thing is uh, take full advantage of the government programs, provincial and federal, uh, the lending program, the loan postponements, uh, talk to BDC to make sure you get uh, access to as much uh, liquidity and credit and support as possible. Uh, and there's an awful lot that's been put out there. Second is to make sure you manage your, you understand uh, under various scenarios what your cash flows are going to look like. Um, week by week, look at cash coming in. Week by week, look at cash going out so that you can see well in advance um, whether you're headed towards a crisis or a challenge. Uh, and the earlier you spot that, the more prepared you can be. And then finally, and this is, uh, this is hard and it's easier said than done, but I know lots of companies have found ways um, when the traditional markets have slowed down um, to um, shift into new markets, um, pivots the word they use to find new opportunities. And you see industrial companies making hand sanitizers. You see companies that relied on um, uh, customers coming in, um, putting in place um, web sales and e-commerce. So lots of examples. Uh, if you're not going to replace all your revenues, but there are lots of examples of companies that have found ways to tap into new sources of revenue. That'd be the third piece of advice we'd give our clients. Michael, as you look into the future in your crystal ball, what do you think the province's recovery will look like? And, and when should we even expect such a thing? Well, you know, as I mentioned before, um, the recovery started. Um, and um, you look at em- uh, employment um, April to May, it's up 9% in hospitality. It's up 4% in retail. It's up 3% in manufacturing. So it has started. But as you say, it's so hard to predict uh, what the months ahead will look like. So one thing that we've done, again, we just announced this last week for larger companies, given how hard it is to predict, we put in place a special um, uh, financial product. Um, it's called a, a junior loan, but basically what it allows companies to do is pay back the full amount they borrow and a lot of the interest uh, after four years. And the hope would be after four years, we're through this period of instability, and it'll be uh, more straightforward for companies to find traditional sources of financing and recapitalize. So um, what we're trying to do is basically say we don't, we don't, no one knows um, what the uncertainty is going to look like. No one really knows the volatility around oil prices, but we'll, we'll make available this finance to get you through to four year point, uh, at which point we hope there'll be more stability and more ability to predict. Um, so that's one thing we're doing given how uncertain um, these times are. Uncertainty is one thing, but what you folks uh, do is, is try to look to the future. When does BDC predict a full recovery? Can we put, you know, a year on this? Are we talking many, many months or, or a couple of years? Well, you know, it's, it's a big range. So with the models we've run, this is for Canada, show a full recovery getting back to where we were uh, sometime um, uh, late 2022, mid-2023. Wow. So some still some time to go. And, uh, you know, we battle in the in the meantime, if, if folks are looking for more help, maybe BDC is able to uh, do something for them for in terms of businesses. Where do they go? So two things, go to bdc.ca. It's there. And I encourage also every single entrepreneur to sit down and talk to their primary lender because the banks are um, armed as well with lots of tools for support. Good stuff. And uh, thanks for helping out during this time. We appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good day. This is Michael Denham, Business Development Bank of Canada President and CEO. It's 817. It's time for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman, a community connected to its city. 7.07 now, and uh, there's certainly no shortage of news coming out of the United States in COVID-19 numbers. They continue to surge. Wow. In some states across the U.S., those numbers are incredible. With all the details on what's going on south of the border today, we're joined by Washington reporter for Global News, Jennifer Johnson. Good morning, Jennifer. 
Well, good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being with us. So, I mean, we're seeing numbers that, you know, are seem to be just continuing to climb and dramatically so. And yet, you know, states are still open and, and things are going about really quite normally, aren't they? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's actually been quite a crazy week here in America. The states, particularly Florida, Texas, Arizona, California, are breaking records virtually every day. The total uh, cases across the country, new positive cases of COVID-19 have broken records the last three days in a row. So the numbers keep going up. And as you said, businesses remain open uh, across the country. Although I have to say, given what's gone on this past week, that several states have put the brakes on the next phase of their reopenings. Governor Greg Abbott in Texas uh, delayed the next phase of their reopening. Uh, He made that announcement yesterday. Uh, Delays have also been announced in Maine, Kansas, North Carolina. Um, But, you know, as you said, there still are plenty of businesses open, restaurants open, bars still open across the country, and the numbers are skyrocketing in many, many areas of the country. And honestly, in over half of the states, the numbers are increasing. So it's a problem across America. Jennifer, let's talk about the push and pull between the individual states and the federal government, particularly President Donald Trump, who, uh, you know, has been saying full steam ahead, economy, economy, economy. What is his reaction to some of these governors changing course and and pulling back and uh, changing plans that they put in place weeks ago? Well, he keeps sticking to this this line that the numbers that are going up because there's more testing. And he said it again last night in in a town hall. Uh, in in Wisconsin. He's like, we're testing so much, then the numbers are going up. But the truth of the matter is the numbers are going up because people are sick. It's not healthy people who are going out and getting tested. Yesterday in Miami, for example, 400 people lined up by 9 a.m. at a testing site. They only had 250 tests. These are sick people getting tested. And the tests aren't going up because, I mean, the numbers aren't going up because there's more tests. The numbers are going up because more people are sick. So President Trump keeps saying this, and it's not flying with the with the governors. Now, he is getting some pushback from the Republican governors who have been on his side keeping their economies open, uh, such as Greg Abbott. Greg Abbott was brought into the Oval Office on May 7th and touted by the president as the governor who was doing a phenomenal job because he was reopening his businesses and he was reopening retail stores and movie theaters. But now Texas has got a real problem. In Houston, the ICU beds are at capacity and or near capacity, 97 or 8 percent yesterday. So, um, you know, there's not a public pushback, but there's definitely changes being made by the Republican governors in Florida, Texas and Arizona, for example, big states that Trump wants to win come November. And Jennifer, on that note, you know, it does look like polling, if if it's correct, in fact, that Biden's really pulling ahead of Trump at this time. Well, interesting question, because he actually said last night in the town hall, you're probably going to end up with Biden as your president because people don't love me. Um, <laughs> people, <laughs> you know, people are frustrated with what's going on. Well, it, you know, it's been a piecemeal situation from the get-go. This is There, there were no federal mandates regarding COVID-19, it was a state-by-state basis. And if, you know, if a a state wanted to, you know, require quarantines like New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut are now doing for people coming into those states from hotspots, you know, it had to be done by a state-by-state basis. So it it was so piecemeal that the country can't really get on one page and, you know, 
every state had locked down, say, March, April, perhaps we would be in a better situation than we are now. But now you still have this crossover, people leaving those states, going into other states, and it's spreading. I mean, people are going, you know, from South Carolina up to Delaware, from, you know, places like Texas over to Louisiana. And, you know, it's creating a problem. It's spreading. Well, and, and we're hearing uh, more and more of uh, bunglings when it comes to to things behind the scenes. You know, obviously, obviously, Trump wants the the uh, economy to be clicking. We're hearing that an oversight agency had mentioned that uh, the administration delivered more than one point four billion dollars in stimulus payments to dead people. Do you know? Do you know much about this? <clears throat> well, I mean, that, there's been a lot of problems with. I mean, it's dead people. It's people don't have new or don't have social security numbers. It's. Um, I mean. It, it, there's been so many problems with the stimulus package. There were many, many small businesses who couldn't get their checks for months on end, while big businesses like Shake Shack, um, you know, Podbelly, they were getting their their money. Um, banks were taking their money before they were handing them out to the small businesses. As you mentioned, dead people were getting checks. It, it was, you know, the bill was fast-tracked. It you know went through quickly, and there were a lot of problems. Now, having said that, millions of Americans did benefit from this, but it's certainly, you know, that that has been that that is added to, you know, a laundry list of problems regarding COVID nineteen and the economy, you know, and the health of this country. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the Black Lives Matters movement. Is that still? Are we still seeing in the in the United States uh, various protests and rallies, et cetera, in that are going on continuously? I would say that's calmed down quite a bit. There are still some protests, some rallies. Congress is kind of deadlocked on a police brutality reform bill. There have been various states and local communities who have done their own reforms in terms of chokeholds and and uh, accountability, looking at police officers who may have track records of uh, aggression. So, um, and certainly in terms of the numbers of protests, that has greatly decreased. Of course, getting back to the COVID situation, the other concern about what's going on now is that we're now, you know, we're going to get into the two-week mark or so from when these protests happen, and those are going to continue to an increase. Sorry, that was my alarm to call you. Uh, <laughs> that's gonna, <laughs> that is going to lead to another, you know, surge in cases. Right. A lot of concern about the July Fourth holiday. You know, the doctors keep saying, um, you know, Dr. Fauci testified before a congressional committee earlier this week that, you know, the biggest surge is 18 to 34-year-olds. That for whatever reason, these kids can't stay home. They can't stay out of the bars. They can't stay away from the beaches. Stay with the beaches, the parties, the boardwalks. And they're, for the most part, some are getting sick. And that is there, there is a great increase in them getting sick, but they're not getting as sick as when they bring it home to their parents or they visit their grandparents and Mm -hmm. give it to them. And um, ironically, uh, we do have the Coronavirus Task Force uh, press conference with the Department of Health and Human Services at 1230 today. I say ironically because we haven't heard from that task force for two months. So they are planning a press conference today. I don't know who specifically is speaking. It um, was given to the reporters as Mike Pence, the vice president, is leading this. But but I would think that Dr. Fauci will be there. Dr. Burks will be there. Perhaps Dr. Redfield from the CDC will be there. Maybe Stephen Hahn from the FDA. But it'll be interesting how the White House is, is going to spend this because Americans... 
for the most part, are very, very concerned about this massive uptick. Concerned about the uptick, but the 4th of July is is a big deal in the USA. And so a lot of people like to, you know, uh, travel to see family or friends, maybe camping, whatever it might be. What are you hearing? Are people comfortable traveling, uh, seeing this uptick and throughout the pandemic uh, down south? Well, AAA, uh, the American Automobile Association, is saying this is going to be a massive holiday for people to travel, but by car. So a lot of people, uh, the majority of people are not getting on planes, but a lot of people are going to go to beaches. They're going to, you know, go on a, a July 4th vacation. And it just so happens this year, the 4th is on a Saturday, as you know. And so there's going to be a lot of people out. There's going to be a lot of people at the beaches. And it, it, it's a problem. People think they are protected outside. It does give you some, some more protection, but it certainly doesn't protect you from COVID-19. And doctors are very concerned about this. Again, they're going to look at the two-week mark after the Black Lives Matters protests. They're going to look at the two-week mark after the July 4th holiday. And they expect these numbers to go up. Yesterday, they were saying that by July 1st, I mean, by excuse me, by uh, October 1st, end of September or so, uh, this virus will kill 180,000 Americans. We're at 122,000 right now. And so that number, I mean, it's, it is staggering. Yeah. And, you know, there's so much pushback in many communities about wearing masks. They're, the Palm Beach County commissioners had a meeting Wednesday night, I believe, and boy, people were furious at about, about a mask mandate. So it's, it's just a very, very strange situation in this country where the numbers keep going up, people keep dying, hospitals are overwhelmed in pockets across the country, and yet people want to go outside and not wear masks. And, you know, we in Canada are watching those numbers, and that's why our border remains closed till the end of July, because I think Canadians as a whole don't want Americans traveling up here with all that illness. So we'll be watching what happens south of the border. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Appreciate it, Jennifer. All right. Thanks very much for having me. That is Jennifer Johnson. She's a Washington reporter for Global News. 717 helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. Enjoy spectacular views of the city skyline and the Rocky Mountains. Eight nineteen. Looks like the years-long project on Crowchild Trail over the Bow River is nearly complete. In fact, spotted on social media this week, Jeff Baird, you'll like this. It's a quote, be like Crowchild Trail, never stop improving yourself. Uh, Jeff Baird is our senior transportation engineer with the City of Calgary, and he joins us with an update. Hi, Jeff. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, so the end, it's in sight, obviously, because I take Crowchild every day over the Bow, and it is starting to look good. Yeah, definitely. Uh, obviously, this past weekend with the paving operation, we were able to get those added lanes open, get the lanes realigned and widened out. So those lanes are in their final configuration. And so it's obviously a lot nicer traveling through there now. That said, there's still a bit of work to do. We're not quite done yet, although, like you said, the, the end is in sight, but it's still a construction zone. Mm-hmm. There's still workers and crews on site, uh, a little bit of road work to do, some finishing touches, but we're in good shape to be wrapping it up soon. When you say soon, we need the exact day and hour. <laughs> no, um, so are, are we talking days or weeks, uh, Jeff? Do you, do you have any idea when we can say with certainty to a, you know, to a certain degree when all work will be done? Sure. So we're we're still looking to be done by the end of the summer. That's going to be in good shape to have everything wrapped up here at that point. Now, with uh, with some cooperative weather, hopefully we could be out of there in August is how it's looking. Obviously, that's 
uh, subject to the rain and the interesting um, <laughs> weather systems mm-hmm. we've had come through. So it's hard to nail down a date, obviously, with the kind of weather we get here, but uh, certainly by the end of the summer at this point. Wow, it's, that's fascinating to me because it looks like it's really so very close, but you've still got a good month to go with work, you say. Uh, what's happening on Memorial Drive over top of Crowchild there? Because that one still looks like it, there's still some progress that needs to be made. Sure. So that was actually some additional rehab that uh, was reprioritized, I would say, to take part as part of or during the timeline of this project. And so same same thing. I mean, we're looking towards the end of summer for that. However, um, that uh, won't impact traffic along Crowchild Trail, so to speak. Obviously, Westbound Memorial Drive will still have some closures and uh, just some rehabilitation work to, to finish off while we are in the area to not have to come back and disrupt traffic again after the, the mainline Crow Child work is done. Okay, Crow Child was the one I think that stuck in most people's minds over the past uh, uh, handful of years. A- any other major projects coming up? Um, there's, there's a few. I mean, there's always various projects, planning and, and execution going on. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of along Crow Child Trail, the next big phase would be uh, the medium-term improvements, however, that's a little ways out. Mm-hmm. As far as uh, general road construction projects, I'd recommend just heading to calgary.ca to see what's coming up and, and what's cool. planned. Good so stuff. we'll keep the speed down on Crowchild over the Bow River. The workers are still there, as you say, doing their thing. Let's uh, give them the space so they can get the heck out of there as soon as possible, get that project done. But, boy, it is looking good, Jeff, and it's it's so spacious driving through there now. It's going to be a great improvement to our city for sure. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thanks to everyone and for their patience over the last couple of years, uh, bearing with us through it. But yeah, hopefully it's uh, pe- people can, can really see the final product there now. And, and like you said, please just bear with us for a little bit longer here while we finish things up and, and uh, do it safely with the workers still on site. Good stuff. Keep doing what you do safely and uh, have a great weekend, Jeff. Thanks. You too. That is Jeff Baird, Senior Transportation Engineer with the City of Calgary. 918 on the morning news and very excited. We had our grand champion of community champions awarded that out on Monday to the Cron family. Yep. But this has been such a great program. We want to make sure that those folks in the community who have gone above and beyond get recognition. And we've had so many great texts and emails and people who want to nominate someone in their world who they just noticed was a little extra special during these crazy past few months that we've experienced. So if you have somebody in your world who's gone above and beyond, nominate them. They could be our next community champion. Yeah, we love doing that. And uh, we have the chance to hear stories, not from the actual nominees, but the nominators on why they think this person is deserving. So we have another one on the line right now, Joanne Anzorger. Am I saying your last name correctly, Joanne? Uh, Anzorger. Anzorger. Joanne Anzorger. Good morning to you. Now, you uh, have uh, somebody special in mind that you want to give some credit to for doing all they do for, you know, through the pandemic and maybe even beyond. Who's that? Um, It's my daughter-in-law, Michelle Mooley. Okay, so obviously she's special to you and uh, um, does a lot. And it sounds like she really goes out of her way for people. Tell us about her story. Okay. What made me decide um, to enter her name, um, because she did do um, a a street concert in in May just for her her community on her cul-de-sac. But beyond that, she's always willing to help. Um, And also just 
they were planning a lovely trip to France this summer with, or this spring, with her dad to check out their ancestors, which, of course, was cancelled. Mm-hmm. This was their first trip planned in about eight years, so they've been saving and planning for it for a long time. Um, then COVID happened, and um, I just thought, you know, soon after their marriage, she and my son went to Mexico to help build a home for Habitat for Humanity. She shaved her head, donated her beautiful long red hair to support her sister who was undergoing cancer treatment. She did this in public downtown Calgary to raise funds for the Lymphoma Society. Wow. She welcomed a family of four from Sudan, as she and my son did, helping them integrate into Canadian life probably for the first two years in Canada. She also uh, welcomed a high school student from Chile into their home last year for six months. She supports her family whenever needed and her friends. She was caring for her mom post-surgery. She aided her uncle after the death of his wife. And finally, like I said, organizing this wonderful street concert for her cul-de-sac in Douglas Dale in May. Um, these are only a few of the things she does that I am aware of, and I'm sure there's much more that others could say about her. Wow. She sounds like an amazing giving person, Joanne. What, what a special lady. And she's obviously a musician then, putting on that street concert? No, no, she hired someone. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> yeah, a fellow that she knew um, that was doing this in Edmonton, and she connected with him to see if he would be able to come to Calgary. Um, Martin Kerr. And then and just put the show on for her neighbors. Yes. Wow. And it sent out invitations to the whole street. And it, w- it was just amazing to watch. He set up, and once he started singing, just watching the people coming out and looking. Mm-hmm. And probably weren't going to come out, but just hearing the music, coming out to check it out. And by the end of it, them all coming up to her and saying thank you and introducing themselves because a lot of them, you know, even though you pass them every day, you don't know them. For sure. And um, it was just people dancing in the street (laughs) and singing along. It was an amazing evening after almost three months of isolation. That sounds fantastic. This sounds like a perfect example of a community champion. And so we very much appreciate you taking the time and uh, sharing the story with us, Joanne. Thank you. I thank you for giving me this opportunity. I just wanted to put a smile on her face. She's, it's been a tough couple of months. She's yeah. working from home full time. So. Yeah, it's, it's tough. Well, it sounds like she's put smiles on a whole lot of other people's faces. So thank you for your nomination today. You're welcome. Thank, thank you. you. That is nominator Joanne Ansorger, and uh, she is uh, nominating her daughter-in-law, Michelle Mooley, as a community champion. If you want to nominate someone, go to 770chqr.ca. Just scroll down a little bit. You'll see a contest tab, and you can put your nomination in there, and maybe we'll be reading yours on air as well.